Deadwood Soundwell. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Welcome to Not Safe for Network. I'm Biggs. I'm Brandon. I'm Carl. All right, Carl, you want to start us off with Ezra Miller? Oh, it's getting weird with Ezra Miller, man. There is a young person, I forget their name, but they formed a friendship somehow with Ezra Miller when they were like 14 years old. Now they're 18. Started when they were 12. So anyways, now this person is 18 and they've run away from home and are like staying with Ezra Miller. And in response, the parents have established emergency custody of their kid and have tried to place a restraining order on Ezra Miller, but they're like evading. They just keep moving from place to place. So they're evading the police because they're not aggressively like hunting them. They're just like sending two off. Knock, knock, knock. Here's a piece of paper kind of thing. Meanwhile, this young person keeps sending out messages claiming that They're not brainwashed. They've not been kidnapped and that their parents are overreacting. And it's just an ugly situation because like this young person is, I guess, non-binary. And I have every reason to imagine their parents are just being like yelled at from every corner of the Internet. Like your child was corrupted and brainwashed by the evil LGBT cabal of Satan and et cetera, et cetera. So they've got that going in their ear. And then they care about their kid, obviously. And then, like, Ezra Miller is kind of showing clear signs of being an abuser or a manipulator and and grooming behavior and all this stuff. So that's really bad. They keep trying to serve him, and he keeps moving before they get a chance to serve him. Right. And that's why nothing is moving forward, like, progressing very quickly is because they are just evading. They're going to have to escalate it at a certain point, you know? And I think that this publicity is like the worst possible thing for so many already uh, like targeted minorities that this is not good press, you know, and by in no way symbolic of them, but it's going to be used against them for sure, which is super fucked up. So thanks for like doing you know, your fellow LGBT people, no fucking favors as for Miller. Then all the movies going forward that they're a part of are like probably fucked. You know, you can't be the flash now <laughs> or can you, you know, well, that's they already the question. Did it. That's the problem is like, it's in the can. So <laughs> that, is, that is a lot of sunk Where's cost. Tignataro when you need her? Tig to step in and become the flash. Kim, Tig, come be the flash for us. Just like Deep State put Grant Gustin in. Yeah, let's start that hashtag. Hashtag Tig Flash now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like Tig. Like she replaced, uh, what's his name, in Army of the Dead. Yeah. And they spent great. a shitload of money to take out, which guy was it? He was in that show Undateable and uh, fuck, I forget his name. Anyways, that guy had some shit happen and so... They spent millions of dollars, you know, to digitally take him out of the movie and replace him with Tig. And Tig just like acted against a blue screen and just worked it, did awesome, you know. How they did Tig Nataro do, do, Brandon? I'm curious. I one I of, really liked her character. One of the okay. more memorable characters, actually, yeah. I'd say. Like, sort of lives to the end. So you did see it then, Carl? I saw Army oh, of the okay. Dead. Oh, okay. I didn't yeah. realize you did. I also watched that uh, prequel with the safes, uh, uh, the, the heist movie. That leads up to Army of the Dead. It takes place in the same world. And I think it has maybe one or two characters that cross over. But it's pretty much a standalone movie. And the only reason why I watched it is because the trailer hooked me. I knew that it was going to show me all of the inner workings of the safes. Like doing their thing. All CGI inner safe. And I was like, fuck yeah. I'm all for watching safes unlocked <laughs> from the inside. Yes. It's like a video game. And it was a fucking video game, dude. There were like five safes of increasing difficulty and increasingly difficult to get into the safes. Was there any side quests, like a fetch quest somewhere? There were sub, there were like the subplots are basically side quests. Like, cause you know, nowadays 
a romantic uh, side plot is a sub like a side quest in video games now. Okay, you do that. You remember when you're playing Grand Theft Auto? Every now and then, San Andreas, there'd be a little heart icon on the map, and you go there and go <laughs> on a date, raise your level with the girl. Right, but to get a date with the girl, you had to work out your character to specific standards for each one. Yeah, I that never game was got actually that far pretty into fun. it, but I like. I, the I game. liked how intricate that one was. But then, see, you pick one girl and work your person out to that girl. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and then also, like some girls like them bigger, some girls like them, and thinner. then also like I think some girls like just like the in like five, like some girls like the drive. You drive real fast with. That's what all of your dates with them are is like drive as fast as you can around the city, <laughs> <laughs> and they just are like yeehaw, <laughs> and then you go back to their place or whatever, and then the other girl, it's like let's go play darts, and you're like fuck, I gotta play darts. At a bar in the video game. But first you have to drive to the bar really fast. <laughs> <laughs> but you can't drive crazy sometimes because they'll be like they get scared. Girls get scared when you drive crazy. Well, speaking of girls getting scared, you had a story for us, Brandon? So Is that actually a segue? Yeah. So I got... Um, you're going to hate this story. <laughs> I haven't even heard it I, yet, but I know favorite, you're going to hate it. What are you talking about? It's my favorite so, news story of the year. Uh, Let's see. It was... Stand by. Get ready to walk it back, Stand by. (laughs) The Guardian just released an article by uh, Sarah Pauly, who played... uh, Yep. No, I saw this. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, she played uh, Sally Salt in Baron Von Munchausen. And her thoughts and dealing with the trauma she dealt with on filming that movie. So the article, and this came out just yesterday. You know, it started out like good memories with her dad would watch a bunch of... uh, Monty Python movies and like <laughs> in her uh, Christian school plays, she actually sang Sit on My Face. Wow. <laughs> That's not appropriate for any school. But it's like she's cool though. She's she's cool. Like you get that impression. Like, she's yeah. she's on board for right. like Monty Python. Oh, I'm familiar with Sarah. At Paul that young age, she's like got a pretty good taste. Terry Gilliam was in Toronto, he was searching all over and looking for an actress to play Salt. She did a screen test in Toronto, ended up getting the part, and was really excited. And like, it started out really great. And then they started getting into like the action sequences. They told her, okay, you're going to run down this, this trail. Stuff's going to be exploding around you. And then you'll get through. They didn't really play it up. And they just like, oh, here's a little piece of cut to put in your ears. Well, everything's exploding all the way around her. Left her with permanent hearing damage. They really underplayed like how explosions are going to be going off. And so she runs through it and she is legitimately terrified. And her parents are on set, runs up to her dad, gets in his arms. I don't want to fucking do this. They did like 10 takes of this. They had to keep resetting. And so she had to like suck it up and go through it again and again. And so she actually was telling like later in life, she has like PTSD from it. Like anytime like a car door would slam or something, she'd duck and run for shelter. That's some bad parenting right there. When your kid runs up to you like that. (laughs) They're like, oh, we signed a contract. Sorry, honey. Life lesson. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty rough. She almost drowned at one point. So in the water. No, what had happened was, so they're filming the scene on the boat with the horse and there's her, Eric Idle, and then the horse handler who was the stunt double for, I can't remember. Anyway, doesn't matter. So there were explosions going off in the water, but that spooked the horse. So, and of course, they're just in this little boat. And so, like, the horse is trying to get away from the explosions and, like, is about ready to trample them. It was, like, spooking up, rearing up. The handler made the horse go into the water, but the horse was tall and it was only, you know, four or five feet deep. Did it drown? Did it break its legs? So when it got in the water, it actually kicked up some of the explosions. Like they were underwater, like the explosives. So this one actually floated up to the surface and like went off right next to her and actually knocked her unconscious. They had to call her an ambulance. She woke up later in the ambulance. Oh my God, man. See, this is where I would have replaced her with Heath Ledger right there. You're going to owe me on a contract later. (laughs) Yeah. And ultimately the the point of the what she was talking about had something to do with so taking this idea that a mad genius like Terry Gilliam you know 
we just like uh we'll throw a blind eye you know to the stuff that he's doing because he's such an eccentric you know brilliant person right and you know if there's a black creative genius you know mad genius tries to do something like this they're like whoa what shut the fuck up what the fuck do you think you're doing you know like being a white man is the key thing here not the mad genius part if you're gonna be a mad genius in hollywood you better be a white guy you're you're not getting away with shit but if you're a white guy you're getting away with abusing children traumatizing children man so then later on before when they were starting production on tideland yeah one of her friends her kid was up for the role so the mother reached out to her and asked like what's it like to be on a set with terry gilliam she was really kind of on the fence about what to do so she actually reached out to terry gilliam and sent him a couple of emails had an email exchange back and forth and this was before she went to what carl was talking about with the creative genius but Basically saying, hey, I know that there's a Canadian family that's that going through a lot of this, and we wanted to make sure that if you hire this family, take a lot more precautions than I felt like were taken with me. And she actually was, in the emails, was really putting the blame at her parents, not the production or Terry Gilliam. And actually the email, and you can actually have full text of the emails and there's pages of stuff, but it was pretty civil. And actually they met after those emails and it it seemed fine. And then this article basically ends with the 10 years or so that since Tideland had come out, like really reflecting on what she thought about Terry Gilliam, then actually came to the realization like that he got away with a lot of stuff because... You know, he's a comic genius for Monty Python and, you know, had all this credential that a lot of stuff got overlooked. I have a tortured relationship with Terry Gilliam because I really love a lot of his stuff. Mm -hmm. But also, I know he's super difficult. I don't like his stands on, like, trans people. This is just a new thing. And he always had a very childlike attitude towards things, which I have not heard a a lot of people really talk about just kind of immature man child sort of way of going about things it's not a real professional attitude and that's kind of where she ended this article the longer your heroes live the more terrible stories you hear about (laughs) (laughs) of course if he'd have died when he was 50 he still would have already done that because that was one of the that was like his third movie fourth movie yeah that was early baron's an old one that's like that was like the early 80s right yeah yeah uh and fuck it's a good movie though i don't condone his methods at all but he got a good fucking performance out of that kid (laughs) she was up for it you know she survived it she was damaged by it forever actually she talked about in this article one thing she helped get her through a lot of her trauma was she's working as a director currently and she actually hired the special effects guy from baron munchausen and they were filming something and she actually asked if they would watch the the movie together and then like a lot of the stuff that she had really had trauma with was partly because unable to really process like how dangerous it was or wasn't just being a 10 year old kid right she actually went and sat down and went through the movie with this uh just the special effects actually sitting down like next to each other on the couch in the hotel room just go watching the movie and being able to break down and see it through an adult's eyes wasn't as dangerous as she perceived it at the time yeah it feels like a lot of the failing here is that they didn't prepare her for what she was going to face which is something that you really need to do if you're going to set a kid through this kind of stuff i mean like spielberg for example famously worked with kids a lot and he does a thing where he like goes down to their level and he really talks to them and like lets them know <laughs> right. like he lets them know okay this is gonna happen it's make believe but like this thing over here is gonna go off and then like you'll run in this direction and this thing is gonna go off like watch your ears it's gonna be really loud and he'll like make sure that they understand and repeat it back to him a couple like i've seen him work through this in like behind the scenes features but he really does go 
the extra mile to make sure that the kids understand it. And he's the guy at the top. So even they understand I need to listen because this is the guy all these hundreds of people around him are listening to, right? Yeah. And so it's a bummer that Gilliam didn't do that, but hopefully he learned from it, I hope. You know, the thing is, is that Gilliam strikes me as, uh, I wouldn't be surprised in the least to learn that he was on the spectrum. Oh, I would see that. A lot, his shit is super over, elaborately constructed. He treats people like toys. He's very much wrong he, way he, and right way to do everything, he right? He fixates on, he fixates on like specific mediums and like communicates through those mediums in a very specific way. You have to speak his language to him. He's not going to conform to you you have to speak his language if you want to communicate with him truly that's what it feels like you know yeah i never thought about that before like, but that does and make sense a lot of things that autistic people do can come off as abusive <laughs> because their brains are have such a rigid way of pro of dealing with certain things and like, if i'm being honest in this case it just sounds neglectful it seems like something that could have been handled a lot better but he just didn't prepare the child he didn't prepare the well parents. another thing that comes up too is in their correspondence he did actually say like he kind of gaslit her a little bit and was like i think you're misread when you're watching those scenes yeah. in the movie he's telling her you're misremembering which of those girls in those scenes is you and which of those is your stunt double yeah and she's like saying uh i remember running through explosions and crouching underneath a piece of wood that was on fire you know and then almost crashing into the cameraman and like knocking Tripping over, over a tripod and... and terry gilliam then just like looking up and laughing in my face and saying all right let's do another take you know let's do it again you know he's just having fun with it and is completely lost in that and has no idea no empathy for this child that is like freaked out and not understanding what's going on because they're just a child you know he's a kid himself he can't under that's where i think she gets the kid thing he's a kid himself he's playing in his sandbox he is oblivious to like the pain and suffering that's going on. He's flinging sand around and he's getting it in other people's eyes and just doesn't even notice. They're helping him build the sandcastle. <laughs> Do you know how James Cameron handled the kid who was playing Newt when they were doing Aliens? I know. So he was like, you're going to be doing a lot of stuff. You're going to have to run here. It's going to be really hard. But you see that? And there was like a set where they would like dive into something and it was a slide going down. He was like, as soon as we're done, when you do everything you're supposed to do, if you do it like you're supposed to do it, you get to use that slide. And so the kid just mm -hmm. like got to use the slide for hours after they, they wrapped. He gave him a promise, but like prepared him for like what was happening. You have to do it this mm -hmm. particular way or or it won't work or you could get hurt. It's a bummer that Gilliam didn't. Didn't think to do that. Didn't think to didn't do that. Didn't have the presence of mind to yeah. treat yeah. children like children. But let's go in, on to something a little more lighthearted. Because okay. this news has been a real bummer too. <laughs> <laughs> so the Ant-Man podcast, Big Me, Little Me mentioned in Ms. Marvel, immediately got traction with fans who wanted to see this produced. Executive producer of Ms. Marvel, Bishka K. Ali, was asked about it on The Wrap. She said, I'm desperate to listen to this podcast and desperate to make it. Why shouldn't the MCU expand into podcasting? Like, a fiction podcast i mean paul rudd what's up let's do it i'll write it you just sit in a booth it'll be a good time would love to hear it and also because i don't know it can't be for everyone but for me podcasts are my relaxed space i'm obsessed with podcasts so yeah i can see kamala just sitting around listening to it all the time i'd love to make it so i want to see this happen i'm shocked if i get green great like this. now we got more to <laughs> compete I'm, against i'm shocked that they uh would mention something like that without having a podcast ready to launch like just already recorded ready to drop written because i mean we've already seen that it's possible <clears throat> we reviewed the ryan north podcast which is a podcast continuation get ryan north to write this fucking thing dude i'll tell you He's what i've written and man i'll I tell think. you what i would like to see if they do this i want maybe like 10 episodes nothing heavy maybe even less no one marvel will be six to eight that's how they've handled their podcast so far have him sit in a room and recount things that are happening in the mcu but through his eyes because that shit could be really funny and give paul rudd some space okay. to improvise no i'm gonna step, and then I'm, I'm gonna step in right here hold on one more thing no no okay. no All right. no it's a two-man podcast it's michael pena and yes <laughs> <laughs> and paul rudd and paul rudd i like it i would put michael pena back in the booth 
have Michael Pena producing it? I wouldn't. Well, I mean, I wouldn't make him co-host. Yeah. Like if anything, he's, the, he's, he's the a color sidekick, guy, but... like like an Andy Richter, but he he can't have equal airtime with Paul Rudd. My, a little bit of Michael Pena goes a long way. Yeah, I, I would like to see Michael Pena in it. He's got to be but part of it, though. I want everything through his eyes because it's going to be funnier. I want him to give him space to improvise. And God damn it, we better get a Macamie <laughs> clip in there somewhere. <laughs> you know what I'd like to see is uh, I'd like to see him interview old Captain America. Oh, uh, Isaiah Bradley? No. Like old Captain like America, Steve Rogers, but eighty like year old, old Steve, Steve Rogers, Rogers that exists. That's gotcha. But he's dead now. Why? They said he was dead in. Ca- in uh, yeah. Oh, they Winter just Soldier. said that. <laughs> okay. But then I want young Captain America while he was time traveling to return all the stones, make a stop to be a guest star on the podcast. <laughs> and be like, because it turned and and he could even be like, yeah, as I'm returning all these stones to the rightful locations, I realize like I can kind of take as long as I want because I'm traveling time anyways. So fuck it. We got to get Chris Hemsworth in on an episode of this, right? Yeah. 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 Or at least Korg. <laughs> yeah, one of or the both. two will suffice. Ooh, I would both. like a, I'd like an episode with like a different guest star each episode. Him. Yeah. With a guest star, and like he's recounting his part in and Infinity War. He's not in Infinity War. He's in uh, Endgame. But well, he's in, I'm saying the events of gotcha the whole okay. thing because because really Endgame is Infinity War. Just five years different, sure. It's a, <laughs> and completely time change like with two Thanoses and yeah whatever. It's the whole thing. The two blocks, the two movies. That block is. He talks about that. How do all the people in the world like know the whole story? When did they even tell who told the story to who? Paul Rudd did on his podcast. That's what I'm that's saying. What, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's what, what I'm what saying. That's what they came up with. So, so then he'd have like uh, maybe a Koye Allen as a guest because we can't have T'Challa anymore. Unless somebody wants to voice act T'Challa. It's easier to do no, a voice I impression. I think you avoid he, he's, T'Challa he's, altogether. <laughs> He's king of Wakanda. He's got he's and, got things uh, going people on. could do it a hundred percent. I think it's classier if you just don't have him as a guest. <laughs> yeah. You know what would be really funny? They were like, and then T'Challa underwent Terragenesis and developed Black Bolt superpowers, and now he never speaks. And he also never takes his Black Panther costume off. <laughs> and so then they just have like a stunt double in the costume all the time and he never talks. And then we solved the problem. We never have to recast T'Challa until I we have a new... I do wonder what they're going to do with that Black Panther <laughs> 2. We still don't really know what they're doing, and they already filmed it, you know? Like, I just know it involves a lot of screaming about not being vaccinated and things like that. It's finished? It's not finished. Oh, the principal production is all done filming on Filming is finished. Yeah, it's been they done may for have a while. Re- wow. So the plot is like could get out there theoretically yes yeah we just don't know what they've done i don't know what they did who the hell's in it like character wise who are the i think all the characters oh namor's in it right isn't that the rumor Uh, i think that's been confirmed confirmed. i think that's been confirmed and they did already drop like a kind of easter egg thing about atlantis what's the prince namor guy from rick and morty what was his name? Oh, Mr. Neptune? Neptune or something? I don't remember, mm, but I remember Neptune. that he has sex with Rick at he a certain point. He controls the police. <laughs> Since we just moved from the Ant-Man podcast, let's talk about Ms. Marvel. So what were your guys' impressions of this show? I liked it. The first five minutes is basically like her telling an exposition dump. And I she told the whole thing. And like the only thing I grasped out of that whole thing was Scott Lang has a podcast. All like that five minutes worth of dialogue. That's I'll, all I gained. I'll tell you from the it. detail I loved. She did a YouTube video and they show like this one video she's looking at four likes. And then the one she was just going through is like five likes. And I'm like, realistic. like she's putting all this effort into these animations with paper craft and whatnot and just like nobody is watching yeah nobody's watching her parents and like two of her friends probably her on like burner accounts (laughs) well no like she watched it two or three times to make sure it uploaded right yeah no absolutely it's like (laughs) 
<laughs> that is realistic. I have a feeling that certain people that were kind of primed to not like this show from the beginning because they didn't like Captain Marvel would be instantly turned off by the opening just because it's so Captain Marvel fangirlish. Yes. Because that's who she is. She yeah. loves Captain yeah. Marvel. So she's just like, she's the fucking best one of them all and fucking won everything for everyone. And <laughs> I'm sure there were like fucking angry, sweaty nerds like Captain Marvel, you know, with their fucking bullshit. Yeah. But we didn't look at any of those comments and we're not going to talk about I, it because we promised already. Remember? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. I'll bring them up. God damn it, Carl. Uh, <laughs> it was kind of just nice. Like, I, I watch the young adult ones sometimes, you know, just see what's going on with those. The checking out the quality level, you know, most of the time it's terrible. But I found a few that I like, like Star Girl is good. That one's on, was on. Uh, I think it's on HBO Max. It is now. now. Right? It, it's one of the few shows that survived the, the DC, DC app, app dis- dissolving. Um, but before it found a home on WB as well, because it was geared towards a younger audience and has the, and it very much has like a, like they're all the kids of the superheroes, not the actual superheroes themselves, you know, but Luke Wilson's in it and he's fucking great, dude. So Ms. Marvel was not my favorite because it's not geared towards me and I am 100% okay with it. I think that shit should be made for kids and you got to keep that young blood going into the MCU. And so I'm okay watching a thing that's not for me, you know, because it's still well made. It's still entertaining enough, you know, but I feel like if I was like 13, I would fucking be all over this shit. And I do feel like they got the character of right. Well, and I find absolutely a fangirl. She's like trying to find her place in the world and they're doing a really good job of showing that. And even like the way that they do the visuals in that, where you see all the drawings, like chasing them across the skyline or whatever. Brandon, have you ever had to suffer through a diary of the wimpy kid? I've watched most of them. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like they're like taking that animation style, the way that they like play it across stuff as it's going on, but it works for this. Like it's definitely geared towards that younger audience and i think it absolutely succeeds with it go ahead carl i just think it's sad that you've let that animation style like you've let those bad movies color your perspective on that style it sounds like like you're saying it works for this show but inherently that background animation embellishment let's say is like inherently like a kitty gimmick it is but i don't think that it is i think it's just a tool of I, a, for a filmmaker I, actually and the, it, one th- and the one thing however you apply it hold on the one thing i would is. correct you on that is i don't think it's a gimmick i think it's a style but i think it's a style for kids <laughs> and that's fine i mean like I this is a show I, for kids like we're not seeing it in other dismissive of that style though. i'm not being dismissive like, i'm saying it's i bet targeted it, at i kids. wish it was used more often i wish it was in porn see like the only okay i'm just gonna I was going to go into, into, into the Spider-Verse, but Carl took it a whole different direction. Oh, man. The Spider-Man porn parodies could really... Let's be honest, man. They've been needing to put more production value into those for a long time. You know, dude. honestly, Just though, because you paint animation. somebody green doesn't mean they look like the Hulk. At add least get somebody built like Lou Ferrigno. I, I feel, too, like a rotoscoping can't be that expensive anymore. Oh, no, dude. Add in a little rotoscoping to your porn, man. <laughs> <laughs> do it do it make it more interesting visually it's an art medium fucking put some work into that part of it i will remind everybody right now if we have children listening that the majority of our title is not safe for work thank you <laughs> <laughs> why would children be listening i don't fucking know Here's say now dirty let's words talk, about, talk about spider-man porn <laughs> Oh. Are, are we done with Ms. Marvel? You want to just move no, on? Let's uh, move on, dude. Let's Bear. talk about Barry. Brandon, how did you see Barry? So no. it, it turns out, it turns out Brandon doesn't watch Barry and we just At keep all? forgetting. Yeah. Oh. 
<laughs> Aren't you caught yeah. up? You're not caught up on Barry? No, I well, watched about the first half a season and I couldn't get into the, the show. The whole, it's over though, so it's done now. I don't think it's over. I just, it's over. It was a finale. It, and, it and fucking it, felt And I hope that, I kind of wanted it to, I want this to be the ending because it ends so suddenly. Like, I had this moment where I was like, wait, is this where the show is ending? I'm like, there's no way it's going to say directed by Bill Hader right here. And then it's just like black directed by Bill Hader. And it's like, holy fuck, he fucking did it, dude. Ended there. I it mean, was a shocking ending. I shows, hope that it shows doesn't come back. Every season, season, every season ends in a shocking fashion. Though. This show, everything like with this show, there's lots. Of it This season ended with a ton of unanswered questions, but everything is like resolved as far as like none of the questions we have are like oh no, what's going to happen on the other side of this cliff? You know, he's not hanging, nobody's hanging off a cliff. At least I don't think so. I think it's resolved enough where if it doesn't get another season, it's fine. It's good. But I don't, really good. I don't think they're done. And I've heard Hater (laughs) talk about what he wants to do for a fourth season very, very vaguely because it was when the third season started. So he's very, very vague about it. Okay. So this season was going to be about like, is Barry worthy of, redemption that's what it's about and like it seems like he's not like over and over again like he just he makes a lot of the wrong decisions but i think the next season is going to be is it even possible to be redeemed at this point so i mean i was talking with amanda about it and i know people want to shout me down on this but just hear me out really quick he gets arrested we don't know what he got arrested for we don't know who tipped off the cops they certainly point you in a direction where we think we know but we don't know was it the detective's father was it Cusimano? was it fuchs who's like arrested right now and is like trying to like get their ear you know is it his girlfriend who suddenly like takes off and goes somewhere else like we don't know we actually don't know what's going on with the cops and it could be for something else entirely and he's got an fbi agent who's apparently looking out for him to try and like redeem himself right like that's because we think he's fucked right there at the hole and then like he basically says it has to stop now and barry it seems like resolves to stop it right then you know <laughs> i don't know barry just kind of shuts down he does shut down he but do his actions say anything his actions after that are like He's saving his girlfriend, right? And he's going in to talk to the guy. But I don't like he doesn't. He doesn't, doesn't, he doesn't his go- girlfriend. What's that? He doesn't save his girlfriend. He does in that she, he tells her to say it was me. Tell them it was me. That doesn't mean that's well. Okay. He's trying. No, I mean he's literally he's, trying to stop he's her trying. from from going to prison. Like whatever you can parse it all you want. It's, she's it's still not, accurate. What I'm saying. She killed he's, a man in self defense. Do- right. But he's of course, trying. Then she beat him out of rage. That's the thing. She kept beating him, and that's where they. <laughs> that's where they'll look at it because, like, once the person's dis- disarmed. Oh, so good. I, and Her I don't know that really California has castle doctrine. Fast. It really has. Yeah, I think they can go further with this. Oh, it can go. And further. And I think they have a plan to go further with this because they had a lot of time before they made this season, so they had to have been looking forward. I would like to see a show pick back up with Sally wherever she gets off on her plane. Yeah. And I want it to not, and, and it for it to like maybe give you hint snippets and, and details about what's going on with Barry, like in, in the background sort of, but not, and like keeping us updated, but not focused on that. And then like, maybe just see where that goes. I want to pull out my favorite moment of this season really quick. The whole season. Yes. There is one moment that made me laugh the hardest I've laughed when Noho Hank is like in front of that guy and he like pulls out the blow dart and he's like putting the thing together and then blows it into his neck. And he's like, I thought that's what you were doing, but I was trying to give you time to figure it out. And then he like <laughs> falls over. I fucking give died. Give you the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, give you the benefit of the doubt. I just fucking doubled over laughing, man. That guy is so goddamn funny. And it was very harrowing watching the situation he was in at the end of the season. But like that guy is a comic genius and I can't believe he didn't get discovered before Barry. Apparently it's because he has alopecia and he said like, Oh yeah, he just got turned down for roles left and right. Although that seems crazy to me because like, if you've got alopecia, that means we can just put any wig on you. 
Yeah. And yeah. you're like a clean slate when it comes to hair and makeup, you know? Uh, back in the <laughs> 80s, Patrick Stewart got a job because he went in with a wig and like made sure it was placed really well and did this whole part. And then at the end of it, when he was sure that he had wowed him, he pulled off his hair and he goes, or if you want me to play older, I can do that too. And then he walked out of the room and he got the job right there. <laughs> so you can like, you can you turn balls. baldness to an you need ad- balls. advantage. Yeah. <laughs> that always helps. All right. Let's talk about crimes of the future. Oh my God. Crimes of the future. Brandon, you should have gone to crimes of the future with this. It was fucking weird. Yeah. It was a return to form for Cronenberg. Yeah. I would say not all the way back to his best best days no but he certainly has returned to like body horror existence level yeah there's yeah so like you were talking about when we walked out of the theater there's quite a bit of stuff that's calling back to his earlier career in it yes this like was the like existence walking. moment i noticed is he's got a remote that he's controlling the surgery over and, it, and it's kind of fleshy moved, beetle like thing. it's like fleshy kind of like it's very similar to the existence thing yeah fucking what the fuck man the fucking chairs the chairs that they're sitting in when they're eating they sit in this fucking weird ass thing that looks like bone and flesh like stretched out and it goes like over his head it's like an exoskeleton for eating and it's supposed to align his body into the position that is the perfect position for him to eat his food that he can barely digest he has trouble swallowing it and but it makes all these guttural noises and it goes yeah and like the bed is like this weird floating vagina thing. <laughs> it I is. You talking about the surgery bed? No, that one no, is just a his regular up, bed. That one's oh, a straight it, up it's sarcophagus. A, it's like a womb kind of thing. Yeah, totally. I know what you're talking about. Okay. Yeah, and so we live. In, the world is in the future, and it's a very much a dystopian like uh, it's a dystopian Blade future where we're growing new organs. <laughs> well, it's a Blade Runner slash uh, what Repo else? Oh man. S- yeah, like everything's kind of grimy and trash and shabby. Everything's really shabby and run down. There's no more cell phones or internet because all that shit is gone. Nobody really does that anymore. But one of the things that's happened is that everyone's pain tolerance and is super high. And like we've basically eradicated infection. Right, so, which is how all these surgeries so happen willy surgery, nilly. people will just, can just do surgeries like anywhere, just out on the street and not get worried about an infection. And it doesn't even really hurt that much. It's really the only reason why we don't. So. I mean, am I right? People just like <laughs> do this shit. And Bodies then. Bodies a new flesh. Meanwhile, man. there's this guy. And he has this genetic condition that's like, what do they call it? Accelerated evolution syndrome. Yeah. Where his body is basically just like throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. And it's just constantly growing new organs. But he (laughs) is bothered by that, I guess. And so. Well, he thinks it'll kill him. And so he's treating he, it like as, cancer. So they, they like treat it like performance art where he goes out and does a surgery they and use, all these weird arty, arts. People are like, Ooh, so they, they pull it out. They use this box that was basically originally designed to perform autopsies <laughs> and they use it Brandon's expression. and they use it to, uh, <laughs> tattoo and then remove the organ from his body. And then he sits around and like grows a new one. And like, there is, is like illegal stuff going around where like he has to go in and like register his new organ because they're saying that his that human bodies are evolving in a way that is causing them to diverge from humanity and become a new thing that and that needs to be aggressively uh regulated otherwise the the they're worried evolution will go off in a wrong in the direction. wrong direction and then these these bad evolutionary paths will like maybe wipe out the good evolutionary path so it's like eugenics now and- i know what you're thinking this is complicated. What the hell is going on? But you might be wondering, is this movie for you? So I'm going to break it down very simply. <laughs> if you go to an opening scene in a movie and you don't mind watching a scene where a child is playing on a beach with like a tipped over boat and then he gets yelled at by his mom not to eat anything out on the beach. And then he goes into the bathroom and spits some bile into a wastebasket and then starts, and then starts eating the wastebasket. Eating basket. the wastebasket, like the plastic wastebasket. He just starts biting ch- 
chunks off of it. And then he goes to bed and his mother smothers him dies. with a pillow until he dies. Suffocates And then him. calls up his father. <laughs> and says, come get your corpse. Co- come get the corpse of the creature you call your son. Yeah. <laughs> maybe this movie's not for you, but maybe it is. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in that scene, it's like, it takes a really long time for them to come back around for that scene to make sense. So you you sit you time. sit in that opening scene for like the next hour you're like you're waiting for them to come back to it. It stays in the back of your mind like what about that kid and her mom? What about that kid and her mom? What about that kid and her mom for like an hour? <laughs> Got to tell you really quick. Amanda's only complaint about the movie was she was watching it and then like the kid died and then they kept not going back to the kid and she kept thinking about the kid. So that really bothered her until they finally showed the father of the kid. And then she was like, oh, okay. But that was the only thing she held against the movie. uh, And I I told her like, I was like, yeah, I was in the same boat with you for about 15 minutes. And then I was like, I know Cronenberg, he's not sloppy. There will be a point to the kid. I didn't think it was just there as, you know, cold open. Like, uh, I think... What if he did his movies like Bond movies where you just see some like horrible fleshy genetic mutation <laughs> and then it does like the David Cronenberg like opening and then you're right back into the story and it never touches on the beginning again. Right. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> what was, why the fuck did that tooth grow out of a toe and then jab into a lady's neck <laughs> sensuously? I don't understand. <laughs> they never paid that off. <laughs> Oh, yeah, this movie, it had, like, these two girls that were pretty obsessed. They were, like, engineers, and they were obsessed with the the autopsy bed, the sarcophagus that he uses for his performance art. They wind up having sex with each other in the box after they repaired it, or they had sex with the lady, the yeah. performance lady. And that was very much a callback to Cronenberg's movie Crash, where people get turned on by car accidents. The theory that underlying that movie is the fetish of the machine. I'm not going to get that in- is in this movie. I'm not going to get into the specifics, but the thing that like jumped out to me the most, which is not the point of the movie. And I it's don't think we should layer. get into the point of the movie just because there's too many. You should go down that rabbit hole. See where but, it like, takes the you. Thing, yeah. The thing with the kid, they have a thing where he's very clearly making a statement about Brandon Cronenberg, his son. And the idea is that, like, he made himself who he is as a director, but Brandon Cronenberg was kind of born with it. And we won't get into, like, how that plays out on the screen. That's definitely there. Like, you can see I would call statements that, that he's making I would making honestly call movie. that part of it. I would call that an Easter egg in the movie. I would call that an Easter egg. I don't think that has anything that's not relevant to the plot or the theme it, of the movie. I think it's just it is. a fun It is, but he, he ties it in. He manages to like insert part of his life into this thing that does fit thematically with the movie. It is about evolution. It's about where people are going. And that's part of it is like what happens with the next generation, right? Like they're going to evolve. Yeah. He had for a long time. They're going to change in ways that we forced on them for a long time. The mantra with Cronenberg was long live the new flesh. But now I think plastic is the new flesh. Yeah. Or at least the fuel for the new flesh, flesh, plastic, the earth plus plastic. Now, he does a great job in this movie, too, of showing and not telling. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he shows a lot, but he also doesn't expo- show a lot. He doesn't explain And you can tell it. the audience was relieved. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't sit there and go, blah, blah, blah. This works because of this. Things just happen, and you kind of put the pieces together after the fact. Yeah. And then if you watch it again later, you're like, prepare, and you watch it knowing it. See, that's the thing. All of Cronenberg's movies all of them are better on the second time through, I think. Because once you kind of get what the point of it all is, then you rewatch it and all of the details are so much juicier. I feel uh, the same with the Coen brothers, actually. Mm-hmm. I think the yeah. second time you watch a Coen brothers movie, you understand it way better than the first. You kind of loosely get the message most of the time the first time. And then God. then you see it. We're all so come goddamn together. lucky. Can you imagine like growing up in a time where like movies would come to the theater and you'd like try to get to it with your nickel and you give them your nickel? and they give you a ticket and you go see and then you turn well well honey we saw gone with the wind that one time in our entire lives 
So that was my entire youth, except for swap out a nickel with $2. Like, I'm saying there were people that grew old before there was the internet and shit. Right. You know? I understand like, that. There are people that, like, it was my couldn't, that couldn't just couldn't do the thing where you watch a movie and then watch it again and pick up new things the second time around because the audience was going to get to see this once. You know, the movies were made with a certain idea in mind. Certain things worked better because the experience was so much more ephemeral. But nowadays, now that movies have been around for so long and have been a part of us, our lives for so long, and we ex- connect ourselves to movies in different ways now than we used to, like people will make a movie franchise their entire identity, you know? But we just connect to movies on a deeper level than we yeah. used to. You, a much deeper were level. Were you talking about that with Chuck Klosterman mentioning <laughs> the culture that popped up around rental places? How like a lot of people were like, they're pulling out things in movies that they're not supposed to pull out. But his argument is, no, actually they're watching these like minute little details that directors are putting in there. So they're actually consuming it the way that it's supposed to be. You can only take in all this stuff with multiple viewings. Yeah. And yeah, and it allowed us the vast selection that was suddenly at our fingertips at the video store allowed us to apply a treatment that would only be applied to like the big movies, you know, like fucking Godfathers. You're good. You're good furlers and you're fucking chinatowns and your shinings and whatever your bullshits by the way talking about the offer next week and they do talk about chinatown and the godfather quite a bit your shawshank redemption they don't talk about that and they do frame i just want (laughs) (laughs) you could take that critical eye as an amateur and not only could you do it with all of those movies but then you could also be like troll motherfucking two come here let's apply that critical eye (laughs) to fucking Right. Now, it's interesting you brought that up because it was just occurring to me. I did not get a chance to read any reviews for Crime of the Future. I'm kind of curious. What did the critics think about this one? Like, I heard some people talk about the reaction from Cannes. But I haven't heard any specific criticism. So they were mostly pretty positive. But there was this one guy. He said some really stupid shit. Rex Reed. So the only thing I've seen you know, about Rex this Reed? movie is there's been a lot of people just like walk out like in movie like. Well, specifically, that was. A, I know there were cans. cans. Yeah. And but other places that had shown those people are weak dude those people <laughs> are weak like this isn't even like top 10 gruesome cronenberg yeah am i wrong okay Carl? like so okay spoiler alert i guess although it's not really a spoiler i'm pretty sure that anybody that walked out of that movie because they were disgusted is because the little boy that is killed at the beginning they perform an autopsy on his body Man. and <laughs> it's so the boys and the boy's body is nude during the the autopsy yeah so you see his little tiny little boy penis it's a it's a and it's though. not and it's not yeah it's not a real boy penis for one thing it's not in a it's in a fucking totally the opposite of sexual context if you're walking out from that it's because you have a shallow mind honestly you see something and your brain reduces down to like oh there's a child penis on the screen this is pornography And if you can get through Videodrome or The Fly, you can get through this movie. The reason why people were walking out at Cannes is because they don't always know who they're going to see because it's like this big ongoing thing and people walk in and out of movies throughout it and somebody might not know what they're getting themselves into. But if you're going to see a David Cronenberg movie at the theater, the guy's got a reputation. Yeah. You know what you're getting yourself into. If you're walking out, you knew that you were going to, you were going in there so that you could performatively walk out halfway through, you know, so, and then you could write about it for your conservative Bible n- newsletter. You're like, fuck those people. This movie had nothing worth walking out over. Is that what happened with that review you're bringing up? A good philosophy when it comes to movie critics is you have one movie critic that loves all the same stuff as you. So if you see their review of something and they don't like something, there's a good chance you won't like it too. But and the other critic you want to have in your back pocket is a critic that hates everything you love. So that if something comes out and they hate it, you know that the, there's a hit. Rex Reed's review of Crimes of the Future is, uh, David Cronenberg's Crimes of the Future is a senseless collection of horrifying garbage. 
And uh, <laughs> Crimes of the Future is a load of crap. I would like to find a more civil way to describe a sick and depraved barf bag of a movie like this one, but it defeats every reasonable attempt to try. Publicity Poopery describes it from the mind of David Cronenberg. Hold on, pause for a second. Stewie and Family Guy and the smart Gremlin and Gremlins 2 are based oh. off oh, of Rex Reed's voice. So just picture that voice. P- picture Stewie's poopery. voice as he's reading this. Publicity poopery. Is that it? Yeah. Is yeah. that it? I'm kind of doing... Uh, I've been able to endure a few of his epic horrors in the past, but 90% of the time I found no evidence of any kind of a mind at all. Still, in what has become <laughs> no evidence of any kind of a mind at all. What? <laughs> all right, fuck this guy. Let's talk about him. <laughs> All right. Deep dive into this motherfucker. Who cares about his life? Let's just go to who the dumb shit Rex Reed has said about in his other reviews. Rex Reed. Okay. He didn't like American Spider-Man film too. critic. Let's start there. Uh, Did not like Spider-Man Okay. Too. So for the record, born... 1938 he is an old an old he's in his 80s so we'll give him for him to have a reaction to a movie like crimes of the future being in his 80s is like not completely that it's not that's not completely insane 90s fuck that dude he was like 40 when he saw rabid by david (laughs) you know what i mean like this isn't his first fucking i'm just saying guy's old as fuck yeah and that that works a little bit for him but uh okay and then it's like we're on his Wikipedia page. Early life. Blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Film and TV appearances. Who cares? Critic. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. Here we go. In 1986, after Marley Matlin won the Academy Award for Best Actress for Children of a Lesser God, Reed wrote that Matlin had won because of a pity vote and that a deaf person playing a deaf character was not really acting. So let me ask a question. Is an ably bodied person playing an ably bodied person acting? Rex Reed? Nope. No, there are no actors. Put a limp limp on or that's not really acting. (laughs) You must be a blind person to play this (laughs) seeing man. Yeah, he's crazy. Uh, After Marissa Tomei won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress in 1992 for her work in My Cousin Vinny, Reed said publicly that she had not actually won the award and that presenter Jack Palance had accidentally read the wrong name off the card he was reading. When it was pointed out that the card had only one name on it, Reed changed his theory to say that Palance had read the wrong name off the teleprompter and claimed that the Academy went along with it because they would have been embarrassed to admit that mistake in front of a huge viewing audience. Reed was publicly rebutted by the accounting firm Pricewaterhouse, who said that if a presenter ever announced the wrong winner, a PWC representative would go on stage and state that the wrong result had been announced before either stating the correct result or giving the information. That, and we, we, can we now know that, that, that hold on, that. we now know that that's bull. Bullshit. To because like when that shit did, when that shit did happen, they did not run up to like correct it. Jimmy Kimmel eventually went on stage. We're talking La La, <laughs> and La Land, then, and then like made a joke, and then they had somebody talk to uh, Damien Chazelle to tell them that there's been a mistake and who the winner was. So bullshit on that, but bullshit on Rex Reed too. It's just a lot of bullshit flying around in those statements. Yes. Roger Ebert said that Reed's conspiracy theories were false and unfair to Tomei and that Reed owed her an apology. (laughs) In a 2005 review of the South Korean movie Old Boy, like, why is he reviewing these movies in the first place? They're clearly not for him. (laughs) (laughs) They want want the angry angry old man yells at Cloud review. That's what's happening. (laughs) There are, like, young interns at the newspaper where this guy writes and they're just fucking with him. They're like, oh, boss said you got gotta watch this one i I don't know i just do it i just take the tapes he hands me this this is all this is all jerry over jerry over in account he's the one that's making me do this let's make him watch it okay so while you're reading this next (laughs) part i want people to picture here's audition (laughs) so while people are reading the next part i want people to picture the smart gremlin talking about this okay i am really bad at this voice though you don't have to do the voice okay. they're picturing the gremlin that Wh- was a break for you what else can you expect from a nation weaned on kimchi a mixture of raw garlic and cabbage buried underground until it rots dug up from the grave and then served in earthenware pots sold at the Seoul airport as souvenirs yeah it's like 
mildly racist there. Man, that's a terrible, that's just bad writing. Yeah. That's a really long sentence and it's written as a question, but it's like, but when you say like, what else can you expect? Right. You want to be like, da, 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 da. Right. God, it's rhetorical. The sentence runs on for so long that by the time you get to the end, I'd forgotten that it was meant to be rhetorical. And the question mark made me like as souvenirs. You should have said question mark. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah just bad so he's not even a good writer like does this guy just like is he published do they publish him just to get people riled up i think i think he was on some new york publication for a long time but the way that i knew him when i was a kid was he used to show on entertainment shows all the time and talk about movies is back in the siskel and ebert era and so you had your Leonard Maltons on Entertainment Tonight. You had your Gene Siskel pulling double duty for like one of the morning sh- news shows. And Rex Reed did something like some Entertainment Tonight knockoff. And that's how Seth uh, MacFarlane was it. One America and, was it One America News? No, it did not exist yet. <laughs> no, those people the were info just wars? So, those people were just known as Reaganites. <laughs> this guy is like the Infowars of movie reviews. Seriously, because <laughs> we haven't even gotten into his inaccuracies. Have we heard about his uh, supplements no, 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 yet? No, no, no. Okay. Not yet. So it's next, coming. the next one is in 2013. He did a review of Identity Thief. Reed made several references to Melissa McCarthy's weight. Referring to her as tractor-sized, humongous, obese, and a hippo. Film critic Richard Roper said this just smacks of mean-spirited name-calling in lieu of genuine criticism. The review was referenced at the 85th Academy Awards on February 24th, 2013 by the host Seth MacFarlane, who joked that Reed would review Adele for singing Skyfall at the ceremony. So once a guy guy is familiar with him because he was like impersonating yeah 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 (laughs) in a column for the huffington post candy spelling likened reed's review to bullying reed stood by his comments and stated his objection to the use of serious health problems such as obesity as comedy talking points he dismissed the outrage as being orchestrated for publicity and praised mccarthy for not getting involved in the matter calling her completely classy for the record recently jordan peterson called out a plus-sized bikini model on the cover of Sport Illustrated and then proceeded to act like he was being a victim of bullying when people were like, you're a fucking piece of shit. She's a fucking model. Like, who the fuck are you to call out? And he would say, oh, it's health. It's unhealthy. They're promoting. And so, like, fat shamers always fucking hide behind this, like, healthiness yeah, as, like, a, that's, a cover that's a- for them to be fucking... Like, just because this person is but maybe unhealthy does not give you the right to be a fucking bullying piece of shit about it. It's also a magazine that regularly showed people on steroids who had concussion after concussion, like not exactly models of health all the time, but like, no, we're going to single out one lady. So yeah, my point again is that Jordan Peterson, Rex Reed, they're the same. They're basically the same fucking insecure type piece of shit type guy. In 2017 review of the shape of water he referred to people with disabilities as defective creatures and sally hawkins mute character as mentally handicapped she's not mentally handicapped she's just mute (laughs) (laughs) and you're not supposed to say mentally handicapped also (laughs) fuck you rex reese so now we get into the factual errors in reviews section of his wikipedia (laughs) this isn't about get out is it not yet (laughs) okay uh reed's 2012 review for the cabin in the woods contained significant factual inaccuracies in his summary of the film and exhibited a dismissive attitude towards anyone who disagreed with his negative opinion (laughs) because of course he did l magazine's henry stewart noted his review is literally about 50 percent inaccurate factually objectively wrong his professionalism was also called into question when in addition to the factual inaccuracies some felt he was needlessly insulting and mean-spirited towards those who enjoyed the film that just sounds like a lot of writers these days just being a dick to the people on the other side of your opinion like it's not cool but it's not worth adding to the wikipedia article i don't think that's kind of an unnecessary right section uh in 2013 reed viewed vhs two despite walking out of the film in the first 20 minutes as a result 
His review was brief and incorrectly summarized Jason Eisner's segment of the horror anthology. Some felt that Reed was unprofessional, with journalist Sam Adams stating that Reed was making mockery of a noble profession while intelligent critics scramble for crumbs all around him. There's a section in this Wikipedia also that talks about him buying a house. Like, or no, he bought like a townhouse in an apartment in a big building, like back in like 1967 for $30,000. And he's been living there ever since. He's probably got fucking books up, newspapers up to the ceiling. Maybe all a him. stone gremlin golem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, in 2017, Re- Reed's review of The Shape of Water incorrectly referred to the film's writer and director Guillermo del Toro as Benicio del Toro, presumably <laughs> named based on, yeah, and also wrote that del Toro was uh, from Spain. Neither Guillermo nor Benicio del Toro are from Spain. The same year, he included the film Get Out on his list of 10 worst films of 2017 and later sardonically stated in a CBS Sunday morning interview, I didn't care if all the black men are turned into robots. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Spoiler (laughs) alert for everybody out there. Black men are not turned into robots and get out. That's just not a thing that happens in that movie. There's not a single robot in that movie. He's remembering the Stepford Wives. Yeah. And it has homage to the Stepford Wives. But you would only think that's what's happening if you walked out after 20 minutes. I'm just saying. (laughs) Yeah, it says a writer on Sunday morning's website noted that there were no actual robots in the film. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it says here. Just racist. Dude, it says here. Reed lives in a two bedroom apartment at the Dakota apartment building in New York City, which he bought for $30,000 in 1969. That's a good deal. That has to have really paid off by now. Oh, shit. Congratulations, dude. I hope your cat eats you in that apartment when you die. (laughs) Also, and this is just a weird anecdote. In February of 2000, Reed, so he would have been in his 70s? If he's 90 now, 38, 40. He's like in his, he would have been in his like. Didn't you say he was in his 80s when he did the Cronenberg review? Well, this year. Is he like Benjamin buttoning it? No, this year. So he did that. 38, so. 16 so he's only 84 right now okay so no 82 so when he was 60 86 so he's 80 (laughs) he's 86 when he was 80 one of us so when he was was 64 he was arrested for shoplifting after leaving a tower records in manhattan with compact discs by Mel Torme, Peggy Lee, and Carmen McRae in his jacket pockets. I hate every part of that. Every <laughs> fucking part of that I hate, dude. Reed had just purchased two other CDs. Says he forgot about the other 3Ds and his offers to pay them for them was refused. The charges were later dropped. According to Reed, several days later, after the arrest, Peggy Lee sent him her entire catalog of CDs because she was so thrilled I wanted one of his CDs enough to put myself through so much hell. That's a story he proudly tells. I shoplifted, and I got caught, and then the lady And then was, I lied about it. And then <laughs> I made up this shit about her sending me all of her CDs, but I probably shoplifted them too. When was when was that one again? When was what one? When did he get caught shoplifting? February 2000. How come that wasn't a big deal like the Winona Ryder thing was a big deal? Wasn't that around the same because time? She was he, was a young, six, hot... he was 62 when he was caught shoplifting. I mean, to be perfectly honest, the fact that he had like, I think he did steal them on purpose because he like, he the two that Dude. he bought were the decoy. And then he walks out with the other three. If you're writing for another 24 years, 62 is not old enough to be senile. I'm just saying. He stole those CDs. Or he's been senile like for 20 years now. I think what it was was he just needed a thrill. He wanted a little thrill. He knew he wasn't going to get into any real trouble. We bring Winona down for it and we lift him up. What the fuck, dude? Yeah. He turned it into a funny story that he could tell in like a late night show. And now, and then she bought me all of her No, do the Stewie voice. Do the Stewie voice. And then she bought me all my CDs. I can't do it. (laughs) Well, we know what he sounds like. I haven't watched (laughs) Family Guy in a really long time. Like, I can kind of- Do smart gremlin voice. I don't know what that is. Which gremlin's the smart gremlin? It's the gremlin with glasses. I know the dumb gremlin. (laughs) 
<laughs> I know the dumb gremlin, with just a dumbass with his dumb googly eyes. No, not that one. The smart one. <laughs> I know Lady Gremlin. She's all like, ooh, ooh. Doesn't she like just do mostly cooing oh, totally. noises? What about electric gremlin? It's in the movie. <laughs> Put him in the movie. <laughs> Like, <laughs> you're talking about a gremlin with bat wings that just f- flies around and then goes into some cement and then lands on a rooftop, hardens into a gargoyle? In the movie. <laughs> Do we think that's why he hated Get Out? Because Jordan Peele is making fun of the smart gremlin, which is based off of Rex Reed. <laughs> Do we think that no, like he harbors because, this fucking grudge? No, because I don't think he's proud of them making fun of him. He's, you think he's, no, he's proud. You think that he's proud of the smart gremlin. I think he's character. just crazy enough to be proud of it where it's like, they were referencing me. Like he doesn't even notice. Like, yeah. like the Brooklyn Nine-Nine where he's like, he pisses off the producer of the cop show. So the cop show like puts his name on a character, but he's like, I'm Jake Peralta, the most disgusting sex pervert in the whole entire world. And then he like gets shot a bunch of times by the cops. Like they just keep shooting him. They look at him like they're worried that he's going to be hurt, that they made him into such a terrible character. But he's just like, I was on television. Like just so happy that they said his, they said my name. Like he's so happy about it. It doesn't matter that it was like the context means nothing. He just heard his name on TV. <laughs> that's probably how Rex Reed would react to it. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, like, dude. <laughs> see, we're calling him I'd a piece of shit. I'd be fucking excited if I also saw a gremlin dressed in a blazer jersey and like kind of overweight. You know what I mean? I'd be like, <laughs> fuck yeah, that's me. <laughs> we're calling him a piece of shit. And he, and he probably will never hear this. But if he did, he would be like, I'm on the names of those young men's lips. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be like, they were they were saying awful things about you on a podcast, and he'd be like, I don't watch cable TV. They they were the ones talking about me. What is this on a phonograph or something? <laughs> My phonograph has been on the fritz for quite some time. He wrote a book called Do You Sleep in the Nude? Dude, fucking Rex Reed. One, pervert. two, three, four, five. He wrote six fucking books. Yeah, I mean, movie criticism. You just compile your And he played himself together. in Richard Donner's Superman. He did? Who was he in it? He was himself. himself. No, no, but like, you know, is he on TV? Like, what? what's happening? Uh, he must be just on a television because he's playing himself. Unless he's like himself walking down the street. Yeah, that's or, what I'm wondering. <laughs> or even He also played himself in an episode Superman, of like flying up a building. Does and he, he work like, for pops... the Daily Bugle? You know, actually, I bet no, no, he does. No, no, Daily Planet. Daily Planet, you're right. But like with Superman flying up a building and then he like pops his head out of a window and he's just like, what are you doing up there? I'm trying to get some sleep. Yeah. Unimaginative garbage. Empty headed garbage. All right. That's probably a good place. Fuck you, Rex Reed. Cut off. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you, Rex Reed. (laughs) Please rate and review our show. Sign up for an Anchor account and you can leave voice messages through a link in the description of the podcast or you can answer our poll questions. Reach out to us through Instagram at redwood underscore sound underscore labs or Facebook at facebook.com slash redwood sound labs. Email us at notsafernetwork at gmail.com. Not Safe for Network was created and hosted by Carl Borneman, Brandon Beardsley, and Alex Small. Produced by Aaron Donaldson and Alex Small. Two veteran horror movie enthusiasts discuss their favorite and not so favorite films. Join Matt and Zach for Watch No Evil. Learn all about pop culture, make new friends, impress girls. Well, at least learn about pop culture. We give you news, reviews, and deep dives on Not Safe for Network. Purple Heart recipient Charles Horgan and Professor Aaron Donaldson watch war movies and dissect their narratives and rhetoric for fun and educational purposes on Real War Project.